Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from listeners, people who love the show enough to donate at our website, thebittersweetlife.net, or through Patreon at patreon.com slash thebittersweetlifepodcast. Support also comes from Italy Beyond the Obvious, offering travel consulting and planning services for your next Italian vacation. ItalyBeyondTheObvious.com And if you run a business, a podcast, or any other kind of artistic endeavor, and you want a shout-out from us on our show, support us on Patreon at the $50 a month level. If you've never heard this show before, glad you found us. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm a longtime public radio producer and host who five years ago stepped off the path, quit my job, and moved to Rome. That was very out of character for me. But that's where this show begins, and where we begin exploring what happens when you take a risk. What happens when you decide to begin again? Or what happens when you move abroad, or even just away? Together we hope to discover what possibilities life is still offering us. My co-host is Tiffany Parks. She's a writer and an expat living in Rome for the last decade. She dreamed of moving to Rome, and so she went. No real plan other than to try. We're childhood friends, too. We met on the school bus in the sixth grade. Don't be afraid to start way back at the beginning of the show. That's when we're on the streets of Rome. And subscribe and join us today, too. We'll keep you in good company. And you might just change your life. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today, we're taking a little jog to the side because we were talking about my move from California to Seattle last Monday. Your big transition. Big transition, yeah, and an ongoing transition. That is seemingly never going to end. I will say that during Labor Day weekend, which, as you all know, we took off a couple weeks ago, Derek and I did buckle down and really work at trying to actually get this house that we're living in decorated because we had paintings and stuff sitting all over the floor. And, you know, after a while, like when the moving process is taking forever, you're just so sick of tripping over stuff. I hate that. (laughs) Let's get this done today good we didn't totally finish but we got some of it done yeah every time I, we talk i see a new picture on the wall yeah <laughs> yeah we talk through <laughs> skype and so tiffany can see the room i'm in yes it's getting slightly better actually the room i'm sitting in right now is the one that we kind of didn't finish over the weekend oh well it looks pretty good from where i where i'm sitting yeah yeah it's not too it's better it is better but that's not what we're going to talk about today no because as you know tiffany I have lived in Seattle before. I'm kind of technically from here. Oh, really? (laughs) I did not know that. I'm not from here. So actually, that's technically not true. I'm from the central United States. But I have lived in Seattle for so long that I claim native status at this point. I know everybody in Seattle is rolling their eyes and saying, nope, not a native, but I don't care. I'm claiming native status. I think you're a native. I mean, I think if you move before puberty, you're a native. Did I move before puberty? You were 10. You were 10. Okay, whatever. Nine, maybe even. Fair. You were nine. Fair. Nine or 10. (laughs) I mean, maybe you had really early puberty, but I knew you when you were 11, and I don't remember that. Yeah, I I don't think I did. Okay, so 
even still, every time you move, you have to begin again. There's just no way around it. Mm -hmm. When you go back to a place you've lived before, you don't start at square one. But it's not like I walk back into Seattle and all of a sudden I'm fully employed. Of course. As a result, I've been doing a lot of filling in at my old radio station, KUW Public Radio. I'm a fill-in announcer for them, which means I'm basically an hourly employee because I've not been around. So I just come and go and I have been filling in for them for years. Every time, even when I was in San Francisco, if I was in Seattle, I would call, I would say, I'm in town. Does anybody need time off? And I would fill in if somebody needed time off, right? So I've been doing this all along, but I got back to town in the summer and in Labor Day weekend and on this kind of thing. And of course, everybody wants to be gone. So I've been filling in quite a bit. All this is to say that way back in the day, probably 2015, probably earlier, it might have even been as early as when I was uh, doing my regular daily morning show, I started hearing from a particular listener. And as you know, from doing this podcast for five years, hearing from people is a little bit rare. People always think, oh, you must know some of your listeners. We know some of them, but most of the time you don't actually hear from anybody, right? So the people you do hear from stand out in your mind mm -hmm. more than the unseen masses. Of course. <laughs> so about, let's say 2015, uh, this man named Arnold started writing me very nice and extremely supportive he would write let me just read you an example of like an email he would send okay so this is like every single time he heard me on the air he would write something every time every time and you weren't getting like stalker vibes or anything no 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 he's very nice so hang on let me find <clears throat> katie i hear your disembodied voice on the radio wave wave he always said wave wave like he was driving by wave wave merry christmas and is your voice changing? So I would write him back and say, hey, Merry Christmas. What do you mean? What do you mean my, is my voice changing? What are you hearing? And then he would say, oh, I figured it out. You have a cold. <laughs> or he would just say, I'm a huge supporter of your career. I wish that people had you on more often. Or yours is my favorite voice on the radio. He would always just say really nice things. Or he would write letters on my behalf. Katie's been hosting this one show. She's great at it. More of her, please. He would write to my bosses and stuff like that. That's nice. Do you know anything about him? Like, at least at that time, did you know anything about him? Age, where he lived? I came to know more about him over time because eventually you start kind of a dialogue with one another. So I knew that he was in his early 60s. I knew that he lived on a sailboat. He had had kidney failure and he had been on dialysis for a number of years. I knew that he used to design luxury interiors for yachts and then at one point realized that it was a useless way to spend your time because the rich people you were designing these luxury interiors for hardly ever used their yachts and so he decided that he was going to just try to spend the rest of his life making people happy rather than trying to acquire wealth so i knew like little things well those are actually not little things those are kind of pretty deep things that you would get only after like a pretty in-depth conversation yeah yeah. And the other interesting thing about it was he always wanted to meet me and it never worked out. So he would invite me to a barbecue and I would be on the air. I'd have to be on the air. Or for instance, when you and I did the, the Bittersweet Life live show in Seattle, he bought a ticket to come to that and then something came up and he couldn't come. Aww. So the only time we were ever in the same room together I was working at Town Hall Seattle and I was interviewing a woman on stage. He came to that interview and I knew that he was going to be there that night. And so I was kind of looking for him after the show. 
And later on, I said, where, where I wrote to him, and I'm like, where were you? And he said, well, you after the interview, you guys got up and walked off the stage. And I said, yeah, I had to escort her off the stage, but I came back out. And he thought, oh, we were just gone. And so he left. <sighs> and so <laughs> we never met. But we I mean, this is years and years of correspondence, right? But they're usually just like, hey, Merry Christmas. Hey, Happy Thanksgiving. Oh, I heard you on the radio. Anyway, you get it, right? <laughs> So I've been on the radio since I got back from Seattle. And then this past weekend, I realized I haven't heard from Arnold. How unusual. So I Googled him and found his obituary. Oh. I know. So shockingly moving for a person that I'd never met to all of a sudden have him be gone. And it's interesting because you know from podcasting that it's like us having a conversation, but we know that we're having a conversation with other people at the same time. There are people listening to us right now, out taking a walk, cleaning the house, whatever. It's a very one-on-one -on -one engagement. But it is also strange because it's a one-on-one -on -one engagement, but it's a one-sided engagement. Mm -hmm. We occasionally meet people that listen to the show, but generally speaking, you listening right now know us better than we know you. Generally speaking, right? Oh, yeah. And it's also... Interesting because we know that radio and podcasting can mean that you're talking to thousands of people at one time. But when you're learning radio, when I was being trained as a new radio producer, the thing that they always teach you to try to make you feel more normal on the radio, like you're not reading, is you got to imagine one person. You're just talking to one person. You're talking to Tiffany. You're not talking to Tiffany and 10,000 of her friends because if you think I'm talking to Tiffany and 10,000 of her friends, then it's like I'm on a stage booming out to the world. You know, it just has a totally different dynamic. And performing. Well, it is, it is a performance, but it's a performance that's supposed to feel like I'm sitting in your pocket. I'm your friend. It's a different kind of performance than I'm reading a book report for my class. You know, mm -hmm. as I got better and better at it, at reading copy and stuff, I found that I didn't really need to do that anymore. I, I didn't need to picture one person i just naturally could do it at a certain point all that is to say that i was surprised how much arnold had become my one person and then and then i'm still on the radio so i'm on the radio this past weekend and i realize this now i realize that arnold is gone mm -hmm. not on the planet not listening oh and it felt like i was talking to nobody oh isn't that weird that is weird <laughs> that is i well, maybe he is listening. I don't want to sound too kooky, <laughs> but, you know, I believe in that kind of thing. And, you know, maybe he's listening. I don't know. So anyway, so I went back and this is what I actually want to talk about today. I went back because I was reading through like just some of our emails to each other. And I came across this one that's directly about our show that he had submitted. And I think he wrote it after episode 45, Leaving which is a long time ago. He wrote this email on Friday, March 20th, 2015 at 9.30 at night. And it's a beautifully written email. So I'm going to read it to you and you just tell me what it makes you think of. Okay. All right. He recalls in this a memory that I shared on the show where I was talking about how if you've listened to the show all along, that I used to have this favorite kid that was an accordion player and he was just like a little kid that would play pop music and I just loved him. Like when he came and performed outside my window, he was my favorite guy. And I was recalling on the show, when I think back to the memory of that accordion player, he would always readjust the straps. The straps of the accordion would slide down his arm and then he'd have to pull it back up while he was still playing. It was just something that, you know, why do you remember that? <laughs> and so he refers to that in this email. Katie, 
It is curious how our memories are made up of details. Your memory of the accordion player includes how the straps slip off and how he readjusts them. More than 30 years ago, I went on my first real camping trip, and I remember the faint but distinct smell of newly fractured granite. And when I remember, it all comes flooding back and fills me like the first time. So close your eyes and imagine a cold, plump lemon. Imagine putting that lemon on a cutting board and slicing it in half. Then squeeze the lemon until the juice runs out on your fingers. Now take that lemon and suck the juice out. Does your mouth pucker? Is it not real? Life is wonderful and hard, kind of bittersweet. I used to bemoan that after good times, life felt so empty because the good times are past, but that is not true. One has the memories, and if one is willing, you can retrieve those memories and re-experience them like they are new, as new as the pucker from an imaginary lemon. So you're back in Seattle. Can you still remember the smell of the fountains in Rome? Your recounting of memories of Rome has added a dimension to my life, and I thank you. Wow. That sounds like the kind of letter that you would read in a book, in a novel, like someone writes a letter and they would write a letter like that. But that doesn't sound like the type of letter that people write in real life. Mm-hmm. You know, the way it's written, the language that he uses. And he was, was he a writer? Like, <laughs> <laughs> not by any accounting of his. He has that a cadence to it. Just, it's not every day. It's beautiful. Yeah, he, he, he does some beautiful stuff. But what I was thinking, I don't know what topic comes out of that, but it is about sense memory. And what I really loved about it was that it was about like physical sense memory, not just the memory of an accordion player whose straps fall down and he pulls them back up, but how you can actually, if you sit and picture the lemon and you picture putting it in your mouth, your mouth actually starts to water in a different way. Yeah. I guess it's that concept that memory is not just the remembrance of a good time. It's like a physical thing. It can be a physical thing. Yeah, well, they have proven scientifically that if you imagine, you know how certain foods, particularly chocolate, will cause like a release of, I can't remember if it's serotonin or dopamine. It's one of those pleasure hormones that chocolate releases. And they have done studies on people and they've had people imagine they're eating chocolate and just really close their eyes and focus on it and try to imagine the taste and the texture and the smell. And they, their brains release the same hormone. Hmm. And I think that that's pretty much proof that just because something is happening in your mind does not mean it's not real. Oh, which is, I just sort of stole a, one of the best lines from the Harry Potter series. <laughs> just plagiarized. <laughs> Harry Potter right there. I didn't mean to, but <laughs> but in the, if, if you know Harry Potter, you know what I'm talking about. It's the seventh, the last book or film or whichever, you know, one you prefer. Harry Potter's like up in like a quote unquote heaven and Dumbledore is there who's dead, of course. And they're talking and they have this long conversation. And, and he says, is this real or is it all happening in my mind? And, you know, the sage Dumbledore says, it's happening in your mind, but that doesn't mean it's not real. Now, those are probably not the exact words, but but that's the point. It's like just because you're imagining something doesn't mean that there isn't some sense of reality to it. And I think that that's why we pucker when we imagine, if you imagine hard enough that you're eating a lemon, that's why if you pretend that you're holding up a really heavy full bucket with one hand and an empty bucket with the other hand, and you focus on it and you focus on it and focus on it for like several seconds, 
or a minute when you open your eyes, the arm that you're imagining has water in it is lower. You've lowered it down mm. because we can convince ourselves of things. Our minds are very powerful that way. Mm. Now, what that has to do with memory, I don't know. I don't know if there's a connection there, but there must be because, you know, if we can imagine eating chocolate, it's because we remember what chocolate tastes like. Right. Or at least like the feeling of eating chocolate or something like that. Mm-hmm. Is there anything like that? Like a, um, he mentions the smell of granite that can take him back to that climbing trip 30 years ago. Is there something like that? For me? Yeah, for you. Yeah. Or is it in, even in the absence of, I mean, I was going to ask you for you specifically with Rome, but it might take that you would have to be gone from Rome. It might, it might. But what's interesting about what he says is that, you know, a lot of people have something, a smell that takes them back. And when they smell it, and we've talked about this in our episode on um, smell, smell <laughs> which was one of the best when we went to that old, antique bookshop in Rome. Yeah, that smelled like the basement of my grandparents' house, which apparently is a blend of molding paper and cigarettes. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. Sorry, Grandma. Yeah, no, for me, as I mentioned in that episode, for me, it's sawdust. The smell of a construction site, mostly wood, though. It reminds me of when I was doing my first play and they were building the set. I was only eight, and I have such strong memories of that time in my life that that smell. My sister and I, when we were young, when we were still girls, if we'd ever smell that smell, we'd be like, oh my gosh, it smells like Bye Bye Birdie. <laughs> that was the name <laughs> of the play. <laughs> but anyway, what's interesting about what he says is that he doesn't say the smell of granite brings me back to that trip. He says, I can still smell it, mm. even though he's not actually smelling it. He says he can still smell it, and then it takes him back. So he doesn't even need the trigger of an actual scent to send him back there. He just needs to think of it. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Which just takes it to a whole new level. It does. Somehow, for some reason, it's reminding me of landing in a plane in San Francisco. And I got out, and it was evening, so it was dark. The wind, of course, was blowing, as everybody in San Francisco knows. The wind is always blowing. (laughs) And I could smell from the tarmac, I guess. I don't know why I would have been outside, but maybe I came in on one of those little planes. I don't know. Hmm. But I could smell this very strong scent of eucalyptus. This is the smell that I will remember when I think of San Francisco. It's a distinct smell, and it's so there. Man, down in the neighborhood I lived in, there was a huge canyon that was just full of eucalyptus trees. I mean, it's a major invasive species. It's all over San Francisco. In fact, Derek and I used to joke that like our last parting moment should be to introduce the koala bear into San Francisco. That would be so successful. Brilliant. (laughs) As another invasive species. But in places that you've lived for longer, I don't know if I could say like what the distinct smell of my time in Seattle is. Well, that's the thing. You can't, it's very difficult when you're in a place for a very, very long time, I think, to have a smell that you associate it with, with a place that you've lived in for 20 or 30 years. I mean, I know particularly when I used to come to Italy, Rome specifically, but in general, just in Italy, I used to come here once a year, usually before I lived here. And there was a smell that I associated with Italy and specifically Rome, but most, I guess it's just an Italian smell. And it's the smell of tomato sauce, pasta sauce cooking, fresh pasta sauce. I I still smell it all the time because my mother-in-law, you know, she's cooking it almost every day. It doesn't trigger anything to me anymore because I live here now and it's my reality. Whereas when I first came here, like when I first moved here and I would smell it, because in Italy, a lot of times you'll walk into a building and 
you know, it might be an apartment building, but it might be just your dentist's office is in an apartment building. Yeah, Cause that's yeah. the kind of weird thing about Italy is like, there'll be a dentist office on the ground floor and people living above. I mean, my office is in, a, in an apartment building. It's a residential building and we're on the third floor and it's, we're a magazine and, and we have people who live there next door. You'll walk in, sometimes you'll be going to your dentist, you're going to your tax person and you just smell this cooking pasta. And that scent used to just it was so visceral for me. Yeah. It's not like I don't like it anymore. Obviously, it's it's still a pleasant smell, but I don't have any connection to it. It doesn't connect me with any any time or place. So I think that's probably why you don't have a scent connection to Seattle. It's interesting too, but his like going back to his email too, doesn't it have do you feel like sense any kind of longing in that? Maybe that's just me. <laughs> but this idea of that your memory could be so strong that I guess it's with him saying, I used to feel so sad that it was over. When I had a great time, I would feel this void because it was over. And then I realized, oh, I could go there anytime I want. Yeah. And I just don't know. I, I agree and disagree with that. I definitely, when I have a really great time and then I sort of go back to normal life, I feel like such a strong void. I definitely do. The day bottoms out. You have to fight against that. And you fight against it. Yeah, but it still has that kind of like, oh, yeah, and back to this. If I can say something that's a little bit trite. Please. I love your triteness. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> it's something. That came out wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. It's something that I say to Aurelio. Okay. When he's crying because I've made him leave the playground mm. or something he was really having a good time and it's, you know, it's time to go and he cries. Mm -hmm. I did not invent this, but like I said, it's a little bit trite, but it's true. I say, don't be sad that it's over. Be happy that it happened. Yes. And this is the one person in my life who lives this so fully is my sister Robin, who has lost two children, one in the past year and a half. She's lost a sister in the past year and, of course, our father. She lost a baby 30 years ago. I mean, I know she has, she has her struggles and she has her moments of darkness and everything like everyone does, but... She is so incredibly positive about it. And I don't mean positive and like, oh, I'm just chipper. Everything's great. I don't mean that. I mean, like, she says things. She, she has these, th these words come out of her that I just, I can't even, like, as a parent now, I think if I, my child died, I think I would want to die. And her philosophy is we had our time together. It was wonderful. And she said that her other son got a fortune cookie about a week after David died. Thomas is the older brother. And he got a fortune cookie and it said, memories are the paradise of the mind. I don't know. I have a hard time with that too, because I'm very nostalgic like you. So for me, sometimes happy memories make me sadder, but I just, I so admire that, that, that you're able to, to just be happy that it happened. Yeah. That's a quote from Dr. Seuss, by the way. Is it? Okay. So I should have said it was trite. I just read some Dr. Seuss to Aurelio just tonight. Oh, I see. Holds up. I think that's what he's getting at in different words. I really do. I think that, you know, he says, yeah, this used to make me sad, but now I can, he can go there because it's this paradise of the mind. That's not to say we should live in the past, though, you know, or not experience our real life that we're living right now. But you would also need to be able to unlace whatever that memory is from like whatever happened. So like your sister needs to unlace the wonderful time that she had with her son with the fact that he was killed. That's the thing I think probably I have trouble with a little bit. 
that's why I'm always in existential crisis, perhaps the unlacing or like, let's say you have amazing memories with a past love, but it ended really badly or something like that. You have to be able to unlace those wonderful times from the other times. Yeah, I know. It's not easy, but I think it, it can be done. Yes, it can be done. I do believe that. But what do we make of the fact that um, Arnold is no longer here anymore? These are all memories that had that are now like, whew. I often think about that too. It's not just me talking to nobody. It's like all of these things. It's like I'm the holder of these memories now. Everybody is the people that you remember. You become the holder of that memory. Yeah. It's especially strange because it's a person I didn't really know. Mm-hmm. I never actually talked to him face to face at any time. Yeah. I guess I just sort of turn that the what does it all mean stuff around in my head. I also found myself sort of mining our emails to check how had I been in every exchange. <sighs> I know we never met. I know he asked me to meet him several times. Was I putting him off? Mm. Did I not want to meet him for some reason? Or was I rude about it? Or was I, did I not answer him? I was very happy to find that no, it was always this mutual relationship that was very respectful on both sides. So I was very happy about that. Oh, that's And usually (laughs) if I didn't see him, I had a legitimate reason of why I couldn't. So I was at least happy for that too. Uh, It's, there's, I mean, it's crazy that, you would feel this way about someone you didn't even know. I mean, not personally. Because, I mean, there's a certain amount of guilt, I think, when people die. For me, when my father died, I felt so guilty, and I still feel guilty, that I didn't spend enough time with him at the end of his life. I didn't go home often enough. Sometimes I would go back to the States, and I wouldn't make it to his town just because I didn't have enough time. And I still live with guilt over that. But it's it's incredible how how you're you're feeling it for this person. But, you know, who can say what the impact that people will have on your life? And they don't have to be your relative to have an impact and to, for you to care for them. I think about the voice a lot because I'm in the radio business and what our voices mean to other people or what other people's voices mean to me. I think I th- consider that more than some people do. It is kind of a universal thing where somebody will die and somebody will say, oh, I I would give anything to hear my mother's voice again. Mm -hmm. I wish I had a recording. Or they'll have a small voicemail and they'll like listen to it over and over again. Yeah, they'll keep it. Or they'll keep keep it it. in anticipation that that person might one day be gone. (sighs) So I definitely know the power of the voice. And I think about what it means that Arnold liked my voice so much. What does that actually mean? And and I think it's partly because I had a, a long history of in the radio industry where I had a boss who didn't like my voice when I was starting out in radio and constantly pulled me off the air, put me on, took me off, put me on, took me off. And granted, I was learning to be a better on-air presence. And I also know that my voice is kind of unusual. So it's definitely not for everyone. So it's also interesting to me to have this person out there that liked it so much, like thought it was the best one on the air all along. And he always used to say things like, you know what I like about you as an announcer is that your personality creeps into whatever you're saying mm-hmm. and other people are completely unreadable. <laughs> and I don't talk about anything when I'm announcing. Like I'm giving the weather, <laughs> you know, I'm talking about the time, I'm telling what's coming up next. So it's not like I'm saying anything personal. No, but your voice has personality. I can totally see it. I mean, I can hear it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm a little bit different on the radio when I'm on NPR <laughs> than I am 
sitting here hanging out. Do you do that Cary Grant accent when you're on NPR? (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) Probably do talk a little deeper, I think. But anyway, but I was thinking about that too, like the intimacy of voices. I mean, I don't know when he was listening to me last. And then I kind of feel bad that I wasn't talking to him in whatever happened at the end. You know what I mean? It's so strange. I know, but you can't, you can't go there. You can't. Too far. Yeah. Too far down the road. I mean, I think that this man would be so incredibly moved and touched to know that not only are you dedicating an episode to him, but you're... You mind if I say it? You're crying over him, you know? I think he would be so... You're crying. Okay, fair. (laughs) I can see her face and I'm telling you she's crying. Shut up. Sorry. And I just got to hear your first crying experience two weeks ago when we replayed the farewell episode. What happened? I turned into a softie on the show. Remember back when it was so tough? I had been broken by the world. I'm just kidding. I think it's the opposite. I think if you'd been broken, you wouldn't cry anymore. Yeah. It just proves how. Okay, good. I'll go with that. That's nice. I'm going to get you to cry on this show, Tiffany. I'm going to do everything I can. Just as long as no one else dies, please. (laughs) Please, God. Yeah, I know. Seriously. People, we all have to just be immortal from now on, okay? Yeah. Everybody getting the memo? Yeah. We're all immortal from now on. (laughs) All right? Great. (laughs) I don't know. I think it's just because it's... It's a shock, you know? It's weird. I think part of it also might be just finding out after the fact. Yeah. It can kind of hit you in a different way, especially if you read about it on, on the internet. It's such a, you know, such a public yeah. and, you know, harsh way. Mm-hmm. can hurt more, I think. I have a tendency to like to have things end, like the story to end well. Mm-hmm. It was left open. It's not that it's it didn't end well. Like our last interaction is fine. It's just, you know, it didn't end with it being able to say goodbye. Yeah. To say thank you or to say hello at a barbecue or something. To like actually meet in person. It doesn't have any of that. You know, it's funny. I actually wrote him an email. Was that terrible? After. After. Yeah. Because I was at the station. I was like, look, I'm, I don't know what else to do. Like, I'm just going to say, hey, our whole relationship was over email. And so I just said, thanks for everything. Goodbye, basically. <sighs> I don't I don't have words for you, Katie, right now. I don't know what to say. I've never been in a situation like this. But um, try to have peace and know that he, he if you care this much about him, he, he got that. He must have. Who knows? Uh, maybe i think Hopefully. so i think so i mean you wouldn't you were always writing him back and yeah that's not the typical thing well this for us i think everybody who's listening who's ever written in knows that in general we write him back yeah i know but every time i mean yeah yes i know but i mean i'm talking about i'm not just talking about our podcast listeners i'm talking about like radio listeners yeah yeah, yeah. who you know could tend to be more a little bit more distant yeah they could sort of i don't know it depends anybody who like reaches out in general unless they're being really critical and let me not just say like it wasn't like arnold was never critical you know (laughs) there were definitely moments when he was like i feel like the bittersweet life has gone off the rails and you're like yeah whatever (laughs) (laughs) so i do hear negative comments and i usually write people back about those too i think that it's important to sort of engage each other in like a civilized manner in general and well of course 
But you guys had a dialogue. It was more than just an email and a response. Yeah, it became more of a dialogue for sure. Yep. But I, I think that that's kind of great in a way. I wonder that about any kind of performative thing, celebrity or otherwise, it, it's great when it becomes a two-way street, mm-hmm. when it's not just me talking into the void, when it does become me knowing some of the people in the void, some people out there in the world. Anyway, well, whew, i sorry I got so emotional. <laughs> All right, cut that out. It's all right, we're used to oh, it. Shut up. <laughs> Don't cut it out. <laughs> uh, any last words for you? I have no more words of wisdom. All right. Tell us some other words. How do you find us on uh, social media? Well, it's very easy. Just search for the Bittersweet Life podcast on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can also just go to our website, thebittersweetlife.net. Yes. And if you want to support the show, hmm. here's another thing Arnold used to always say. He always used to say, I wish I could support the show. You deserve to get paid for what you do. I would write him back and say, oh, Arnold, don't worry about it. You know, listening is the most important thing. And he would write back and say, okay, I will try to get over my guilt. Because he always felt guilty that he never paid anything. (laughs) I will try to get over my guilt, but you still deserve to be paid. That's what he always used to say. Wow. So if you agree. In honor of Arnold, if you agree. We do have a Patreon site now. We do. Yes. And you can find Patreon.com slash the bittersweet life podcast or something like that. That's it. That is exactly it. Not something. That is it. And yeah, we have some really fun prizes. We do. Any budget level, there's a prize or more than one yes. for you. So so check it out. You might be inspired to pledge some support to us, which is very, very appreciated. Very appreciated. And I will say that even at the minimum, at the $5 level, mm-hmm. $5 a month, that is, $5 level, you do receive a handwritten note yeah. from one of us. It's usually Katie. but It's yes. usually me, but still, if you want some mail, at the very least, you'll get some mail and a sincere thank you because we are so grateful to Arnold and to all of you who support us and, and tell us that you're out there and listening. Yes. And a really cool sticker, too. And a really cool sticker, too. If you don't want to do the thing where you donate every single month, there is a donate button at our website, thebittersweetlife.net, where you can do a one-time donation. But no prizes. Now, I'll still write a thank you (laughs) note. (laughs) Because this is personal. This isn't just business. No. It is personal personal to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Until next time, thank you for going down this weird lane with me. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. (laughs) Thanks for all the ways you support us. Give us a good rating on iTunes. Subscribe to the show. And pledge your support at patreon.com slash thebittersweetlifepodcast. And for goodness sake, interact with us on social media. Just search for The Bittersweet Life Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Or send us an email at bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at mail.com. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, send us a letter there too. Our logo is by Jody Rick at the Lost Laboratory, with help from our muse, Caravaggio. Talk to you next week. Bye.